So uh, just real quick before we, I want to just touch on this briefly. So I, I actually went back and had some good responses on this uh, from last week. So I know it was of the Lord that I stopped and did that. But I, did, I listened to what I said. I, I said a couple things. I just want to be really clear about where I interposed uh, the kingdom of God with the kingdom of heaven. So just to be clear once again, let me ask you guys, what is the kingdom of God? Anybody other than Ron and, well, Ray's not up there this week. I know, I know Jeff knows. Kingdom of God is spiritual. But I, I, I said it a couple of times as though it was the physical one. So that's my bad. That's why I wanted to bring it up. So a couple of times as I was going along, I didn't catch it. actually listened to it today because I was going to post it on our website. And then I, saw, I heard myself making a couple of mistakes. I said, well, I'm not going to do that. But uh, uh, at any rate, it's still up on Facebook if you want to catch it. But uh, um, a couple of times I mentioned that the, the physical kingdom was called the kingdom of God. That was an accident. That was me. That was my fault. So when I was talking about Israel in the Old Testament, Daniel and all that, all those references should have been kingdom of heaven. Um, and then I also, uh, toward the end, said something about the kingdom or the uh, book of Revelation, chapter 17 and 18. And I swapped, I swapped that reference, too, in my head. Uh, chapter 17 is the spiritual kingdom of the Antichrist. Chapter 18 is the, uh, is the commercial kingdom of Babylon. So Mystery Babylon Religion is in chapter 17. Chapter 18 is the destruction of that uh, commercial uh, Babylon. Not that anyone really cares about that part, but I noticed it. So I was like, oh, i got to correct that. So that's corrected. And uh, I, nobody said anything last week, so I guess it, you probably didn't even know it. But anyway, I noticed it, so I wanted to make sure everybody's square. You didn't want to interrupt me? Well, pre- that's okay. I appreciate that, Ron. I think if you were listening, you knew what I meant, even if you did, if, if, you know, because I was saying it, you know, correctly overall. But I just accidentally put the wrong kingdom in the wrong spot a couple times. So the physical kingdom, Israel's kingdom, uh, that God has promised, that we talked about in Romans uh, and Matthew and Revelation, all that, is a physical kingdom. So God will administrate his kingdom, and his promises to Israel are still valid, just like we talked about last week. And a lot of what's going on in this world is about all of that happening. Um, and so that's a physical kingdom. Uh, and there will be Gentile nations in that kingdom. So, um, uh, But we are no longer Gentiles. We're new creatures in Christ. That's a spiritual kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And so our inheritance is spiritual. We inherit Christ. We inherit a new body. Uh, we're, uh, you know, we're, man, we're one in Him. It's amazing. Our inheritance is, it's really crazy. It's so much better. I just saw a post somebody put up about Ruth uh, on Facebook or something about she went from being a worker in the field to owner of the field, <laughs> and uh, that is just so true. Really, for us, that's uh, God is taking us from people who have no inheritance in eternal life to being a worker in eternal life to actually being the bride of Christ. Now we're the proprietor. We're, we're right there with the proprietor. I mean, we are we're the owners. So it's quite an inheritance that we have in Christ. So we should be busy about his business, which is a good segue to where we're going to be tonight. Ephesians chapter uh, 6 is where we're headed. And before we jump into that, uh, let me get into uh, just a little bit of review. And uh, I brought myself an outline in case I forget where the blanks are. Um, and so um, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time in the, the long review, but just to kind of remember where we were going. Our purpose is to reveal Christ's sufficiency, the church's unity, and the Christian's duty through the study of Paul's prison epistle to the Ephesians. Now, the duty uh, is, uh, we've been, we started that discussion in chapter 5, 
And the theme here is building the body of Christ in the image and the likeness of Christ, which is God's will uh, always. Uh, and then the title, of course, is Revealing Our Identity, which is really appropriate and kind of just also part of what we were doing last year as a church in regard to being whole and holiness. And, uh, and again, that's still so appropriate for where we are today. Uh, just, you know, having the peace of God and being complete in Christ. So um, in chapters 1 and 2, we reveal Christ's deity. We talked about that, uh, the unity in verses 3 through 4, as he brings those body, that body together. And then Ephesians 5 and 6, it's the duty. Very practical in chapters 5 and 6. And so in chapter 1, we saw Paul's introduction, Christ's blessing to us, Paul's prayer for us. In chapter 2, we saw... Um, that we are quickened from death. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins, right? So we're brought to life. Uh, we're quickened in Christ, and then we're quickened in understanding. And then we get to chapter 3. We saw the revelation of the body of Christ, the intercession for the body of Christ. So we, uh, so what, she, what the body of Christ looks like, and then Paul prayed for her. And then we get to the, the chapter 4, and uh, that, that, you know, we're talking about there's one God, right, and uh, one baptism, uh, that's all in chapter 4, 1 through 6. And we talked about the unity of the body of Christ. And then in chapters uh, 4, 7 through 13, the diversity of the gifts of the body of Christ. And then uh, the responsibility of the members of the body of Christ. And every member of the body is a gift to the body. So that puts us to where chapter 5 is, where we, we've already covered walking like Christ. And then uh, we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, wed like Christ, because that's the passage in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, that deals with the church. All right, so that catches us up to where we are tonight. So, uh, so we entered into the final chapter, uh, and it's we're on the downhill slide now. So, this is a great way to kick off uh, a new year. Uh, in spite of all the drama going on in the world, uh, the Bible's got something for us that'll encourage us, and uh, and and it's also very appropriate because we're going to be moving to the the armor of God, and this is stuff we can put to work in our life. Now, this is also just for me uh, one of my favorite chapters. And so um, I, was, I was excited to get to this point. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I actually teach the process of spiritual maturity oftentimes from this passage. As, as you can, it's, it outlines itself so easily for people like me uh, that aren't very smart. So I can, um, so I can see it real simple, right, that, that it starts off with children in verse 1, and then it goes to servants and fathers. Um, uh, well, actually, it mentions fathers before the servants, but in a big outline, it's children, servants, masters, and then it jumps to soldiers, and then Paul's an ambassador. And when you look at these different uh, aspects uh, of the of the chapter, you can kind of see a spiritual growth process because we all start off as children, and then we grow in our service, and then we become someone who's entrusted with responsibility, become a master, uh, and then of course that prepares us for spiritual war. And then, of course, Paul, who's very ac accomplished in spiritual war, becomes an ambassador. That literally, you see that happen in life all the time, don't you? You'll see a, 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 a man come up or even a woman come up through the military ranks, right? They've grown up. They've gone through all the, the drill. They've been in war. And then as they get older, they retire. Uh, and then the next thing you know, they're serving as an ambassador uh, or some sort of envoy because they've got all this experience and all this practice and wisdom. Right, And so this chapter ends with the, the ambassador, the Apostle Paul. But in a way, we should all be striving and, and looking to be those type of Christians, uh, ambassadors for Christ. But it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, there's some process to that. So we'll talk about that as we get there. But there's these, uh, these set steps to maturation that we find in chapter 6. So the lessons that we'll learn in this chapter can 
can and should be applied to the rest of our lives. Uh, but I do need to give you a warning. You know, warning, warning. Well, what was that show with the, the robot, you know? Lost in Space, right? Some of you are old enough to remember that, man. That is a warning, warning. That was a weird show. I was a little kid. That kind of scared me, you know? There's people getting stuck in quicksand and uh, this robot and that crazy scientist guy, whatever he was, always on edge. I don't know. It just was unnerving a little bit. But anyway, um, that has nothing to do with the Bible. So other than there's a warning. There's a warning here. Uh, what is the warning? Well, um, that's a good question. I want to warn you that uh, <clears throat> I'm going to give you things that you will now be responsible to implement. So a lot of times we come just to hear and go, oh, that's good. But so really, hopefully when we're done here, we can walk out of here and do what, what, we're, what we're learning. And uh, there is absolutely no reason, by the time we get to Ephesians 6, this is so simple, there's no reason for us not to live it out. It's kind of like, here you go, now just do it. And so uh, we're responsible. So if you've already learned them, then this is just a checkpoint. Sometimes you just need a checkpoint. You go to the doctor. Have you ever thought you felt sick? And then you go to the doctor and find out, man, I got great cholesterol. That's awesome. I thought I was had. I thought my arteries were clogged. And I was going to have heart disease, you know. And so it's good when you do a checkpoint and you check it against what's true, and you find, oh, I'm actually healthier than I thought. Or sometimes you go and something will sneak up on you, and you're like, oh, I better deal with that. I better give that attention. So uh, even if you're familiar with chapter six, this is a chapter that we can all uh, measure ourselves by and see where we uh, see where we are in regard to the stature and the fullness of Christ. And so if you if you uh, have knowledge of chapter six, that's great. Now. Uh, we'll be looking into verses one and nine, one through nine tonight, as we examine what it means to wax strong in Christ. So, really, the first nine verses, what we see is just this this um, maturation process and what it really requires to wax strong. And if there's a time in our world where we need Christians to wax strong, it's now. Uh, we need to be strong in faith. We need to be strong in love. We need to be strong in charity. We need to be strong in grace. Um, we need to be uh, very uh, strong in peace as well. So uh, let's look at our text and just read it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray again because I want to ask the Lord to teach us all things whatsoever he said to us. First, uh, or, uh, Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, Children, first verse, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the mantra of every parent. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them, that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to Christ and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is there... Um, uh, neither is their respect of persons with him. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are. your judgment is just and it's pure and it's right. Uh, Lord, in a time and a day and an age where it seems like every man does that which is right in their own eyes and good is evil and evil is good, but we still have a standard of righteousness and we have your standard. It's right. And uh, like I always like to say, you're right and we're all wrong. And Lord, it's not until we really acknowledge that that you can correct our paths and help us understand the way that we should go. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, this passage is so practical, uh, these passages that we'll see in Ephesians 6. Help us to just apply them today. Help us to, to meditate upon them, uh, to give ourselves wholly to these things, to, uh, to evaluate uh, where we are in you. Lord, help us not to just uh, 
come here tonight and just uh, you know have our ears tickled help us to learn the word of god as we ought because there's a real battle that, to fight and i pray god you continue to help prepare us for those things uh that uh, glorify you in regard to bringing peace to a world that's all torn up we thank you and we praise you for the grace that you've given us we thank you for the light that you've made us pray a blessing now in the reading and the hearing of your word and we ask this in jesus name amen all right so waxing strong uh the first three verses is where i'm going to jump off the diving board um wax strong in christ which i think i titled that you don't have to fill that in um it says there in verse one children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise we'll look at that that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth so point a the duty of obedient children is what we're talking about in those first three verses the duty of obedient children you might know that duty is what we're talking about in chapters five and six so it's the duty of obedient children nothing crazy there this is the favorite verse of every parent as i've mentioned in the world that knows anything about the bible maybe a few who don't uh because everyone wants their kids to obey children obey uh when i was that's a good disciplinary tactic tactic i was working with some children recently that <clears throat> were not obedient and and uh you know one of the things that's i use that word obey when i was training my kids as they were little that was just one word obey and so i just focused on one word uh, because that's such an important principle of obedience i just heard uh, pastor dan renaud he did a he did a series on uh, thank you whoever advanced my slides i want to thank you because i totally forgot about it thank you jeff appreciate you um and so uh so dan renaud did a some principles on how to do a good Bible study, how to host a good Bible study. And really, it was really good down at the Focus Conference. But basically, uh, one of the things that just kind of blew me away, which was very simple but profound, was that the whole goal of Bible study is obedience, right? It's not knowledge alone. Obviously, knowledge is part of Bible study. You want to learn something. But if you're not driving for obedience, then really, what are you having Bible study for? Right? Knowledge puffs up. Charity edifies. So you really got to be obedience. And when you think about that, I think that's such a simple concept, but it's profound because a lot of times we do a lot of things for knowledge, to gather more knowledge, more knowledge, but we really aren't that interested in buying in and doing it. But what the world needs more than anything right now is Christians who are willing to do what God tells us to do, not just to know what God tells us to do and then don't do it. That's called disobedience. <laughs> and there's no blessings with that, right? We want to be obedient, don't we? And by the way, all you online, we love you. I just want you to know that. Uh, I don't know why I was thinking that just now, but uh, I feel like you're out there somewhere and I can't see you, but I'm glad you're with us. Uh, we got really encouraging comments last week, so if you're watching this week, I hope you can hang with us and enjoy this. So the command here, um, the command to obey, uh, point one there, is <coughs> it's to establish the saints. Um, uh, is, is this, I'm sorry, to... <coughs> is established in the garden. I don't know why I said the saints. I think because I don't have my glasses on. So the command to obey is established in the garden. In Genesis 2.17, uh, a very familiar passage to many of us. It's up on the screen there. But, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, <clears throat> in Genesis, this was the only commandment uh, when Adam and Eve, before the fall. This is it. Uh, and when you look at look how simple that is. You know, um, it's pretty simple. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, what precedes that is a great promise, which is in verse 16 is all the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat. 
and all the you know obviously the devil the devil's smart because he just focused Eve on that one thing that she couldn't do and God had given everything and focused on that one thing that, that he said don't do that don't do that one command don't do that and then he what he did is he twisted God's character and said God's holding out on you it's not because this is good for you that he doesn't want you to eat it it's not because it's loaded with poison for your blood uh, that he doesn't want you to eat it. Of course, the devil wasn't going to tell her that. He's like, hey, uh, he's holding out on you because he knows the day that you eat of it, you're going to be wise as God's. You know, you're going to be like him. Now, is God worried about that? Of course not. Uh, but he, he gave he gave gave him the name of the tree. They knew what it was, knowledge of good and evil. And he says, you don't want that. You just want to live in obedience to me. You want eternal life. You want the tree of life. You want to you take the tree of life and live forever is what you really want to do. But they wouldn't listen. And, of course, he gave them the opportunity to disobey, and they took it. And so point A there uh, is established in the garden, right? So uh, the only commandment Adam and Eve had was to keep that one commandment. Don't eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And, of course, they blew it in chapter 3. So um, the, the command to obey, uh, it was established in the garden. But not only that, it's established in the heart. This isn't just something for saved people or people who understand the Bible, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 2, the Bible says, and, and, shalt, uh, and, sh- and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul. So we find the first mention of the word obeyed in Scripture in reference to Abraham's obedience and faith. Uh, to offer Isaac, and that's what's going on. And this, and, this, uh, and this was certainly an attitude of heart that made Abraham uh, the father of faith. He was the father of faith. In Genesis 22 and verse 18, um, the Bible says, And in thy, seed shall, uh, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And so obedience is, is, a, is a big deal, obviously, to God. And... Uh, and so it's established in the heart. God is dealing, back there in verse 30, verse 2, he's dealing with the heart. It's not just a head issue, it's a heart issue, and we know that. And, and you know, when, when, uh, when, Ad, or when uh, Abraham obeyed and offered his son Isaac, that was a big deal in the heart, right? It wasn't just an intellectual decision, although it includes the intellect, but his heart had to, he, God went right for the heart. He's like, hey, uh, you waited all this time for your son, now I'm going to ask you to give your son, your only son, Isaac. Wow, talk about a trial of the heart. So obedience does try our heart, doesn't it? And that's what it does with our children, too. It puts them on, on trial, puts us on trial, because if you're saved, you're First John chapter 3, 1 through 3, we're our children, we're sons of God. All right, so, and then we, most of us know this, too. Obedience is uh, established in the law. It's established in the garden. It's established in the heart. It's established in the law. Paul is not creating a new commandment, right? This isn't some new thing in Ephesians 6, 1. Um, or in Colossians 3.20, which, by the way, says a very similar thing over in Colossians. I'll read it real quick. In Colossians 3.20, Paul wrote to that church, and he said, uh, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So if you get tired of saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, you can always jump over to Colossians 3 uh, and say, Hey, look, you know, obey me in all things. And so... So that's there. Um, and so Colossians, he was simply restating what God gave to Moses and what Jesus himself quoted, right? So Jesus uh, was also quoting 
uh, from this passage. In Deuteronomy 27 and verse 16, uh, the Bible said, Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, you did not take this disobedience to your parents was not taken lightly at all. Just like, why? Why, why? why is that? Why is that so serious? Any guesses? Huh? Yeah, they'd stone them. That's how serious they took it. If you didn't obey, <clears throat> if you set it light, if you were set at light by his mother, all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be that he that uh, setteth light by his father or his mother. And all the people said, Amen. So, if, man, if you, if, you, if you didn't honor your parents, you were, you were cursed. This is a big deal. Um, in Exodus 12 there, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Kind of the, the consequence you see there in verse 12 is that there's a consequence to disobedience, not just to the children, but to the whole nation. If the children start to get disobedient, it's going to affect the longevity of the people of God in the promised land. A good example, practically speaking, is you look at, e I just mentioned this somewhere the other day, um, you look at Eli's kids versus, oh, it's my devotional reading. You look at Eli's boys, Hophni and Phinehas, were they obedient? They were horrible. They were rotten. Um, and so, praise, I don't know why, I mean, little Samuel, his mama getting that little coat every year and praying for him, man, that must have done it for him. <laughs> he was a good little boy. But anyway, uh, Hophni and Phinehas were horrible children, disobedient. And it affected the entire nation, right? They were, they were, they were fornicating with women. They were threatening people if they didn't give them the, the best meat. Uh, when they brought the sacrifices, I mean, it was terrible what they were doing. It was blasphemous. It was it was a, it was a reproach to God, and the Philistines ended up capturing the the Ark of the Covenant, right? And it affected. And Eli falls over backwards and dies. I mean, their disobedience was just terrible, um, and so it affects the entire nation. Back later on, in Samuel's two boys, uh, they were doing. They were taking bribes. They were the judges. Two of them were judges and. They started taking bribes and acting honorary and doing stuff they shouldn't have done. And then they, Israel rejected, it's not totally their fault, but Israel rejected, you know, uh, rejected God's counsel and ended up getting Saul as their king, even when Samuel told them, look, don't do this. And they did it anyway. And God had to tell Samuel, hey, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, uh, which I'm sure he felt like a reject because his kids were bad. Um, but uh, he said, they're rejecting me, right? They were disobeying God. It affects everybody. Uh, and a disobedient, you know, it's heaviness to his mother. That's what it says in Proverbs. Uh, but it's also not good for the father when a child's disobedient and rebellious. And, uh, you know, when I, was a, I first got saved, I, they used to, when I was a junior high counselor, they used to give me a lot of the bad kids for some reason. And I loved those guys, and I'd try to invest in them. And, you know, some of them, you, you know, you say, this guy's going to be a criminal. Guess what? They become criminals sometimes. You know, not not just they aren't just bad at church, but then later on they don't listen to their mom and dad. And I remember I came down here to church one time. I mean, I was, you know, 20 years later or whatever. I'm down here at Heartland, uh, whatever, 15 years later, and I'm watching TV and I'm like, oh, there's one of my junior high kids. You know, he's a criminal now. So there you go. 
You know, I mean, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. It, it's something that affects everybody. It affects the family. It eventually affects the, the culture. Um, it affects everyone. And so you don't love a child if you don't teach him to obey, right? Because it's in their best interest to obey. And so uh, if we care about people, we want to teach them to obey. And so um, anyway, I think that's common sense. But when you really th- start to decompre- de- uh, reverse engineer Exodus 20 and verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Well, you, your days aren't going to be long on the land if, if they don't, right? And that's exactly been, that's proved out over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Yeah, Ron? You know, children are your oppressors and women rule over you. There's nothing more demoralizing than that when you see a child. I cannot stand it. That's a good point, Ron. I don't know if people could hear it online, but um, when children are oppressing their parents, you know, when a, when a child's threatening their father or their grandfather, you know, that's just like, oh, uh, man, call the police now. So anyway, I can't take that. Anyway, moving on. Um, Good, good cross-reference, uh, Randy. Good cross-reference, Ron. Starts with an R. All right, point, uh, point D there uh, is uh, established in the New Testament. This, so this principle of obedience, it's established in the heart. It's established, uh, first of all, it's established in the garden. It was established in the heart, established in the law, and it's established here in the New Testament, uh, not only in Ephesians and uh, Colossians 3.20, but Matthew 15.4, and I put those references up there. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. That's what Amy is referring to, right? I mean, there was a death penalty for disobedience. Mark seven ten. for Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. And so, uh, by the way, that's a kingdom of heaven principle. So uh, once Jesus returns and sets up his government, that's going to be the level of ex- expectation of children again. Uh, so, man, uh, if you're in the age of grace, you better be thankful. But that's a good principle to live by, to understand that. Now, I'm not reckoning, I mean, today in our culture, you can't even use the rod on a child without DFS being called. So, uh, but th- the point is, is that uh, that's why the Bible says spare the rod, spoil the child, right? So, uh, it's, you take it seriously, because disobedience hurts. That's the whole point. It's, you're not to abuse anybody. But, uh, but uh, the Bible's admonition is to chasten a child, right? Make, make them understand that disobedience pain, is painful, and the sooner they learn that, the quicker they learn, that they'll uh, hopefully turn from that. All right, so the duty of, an obedient, uh, of obedient children, um, <clears throat> uh, let's talk about the virtue. Wait a minute. Yeah, there you go. The virtue of obedience. So we've talked about the command to obey. Now let's talk about the virtue of obedience so obedience he says in verse one is right children obey your parents in the lord for this is this is right right so obedience is right when when we don't obey god or our parents we are wrong i mean this is really like wow brian that's profound but it really is true when we don't obey god or our parents we're wrong so really what we're doing with kids when we're teaching them to obey is we're setting them up to be obedient to god right so if they're obedient to their mother and their father They'll be obedient to God the Father and, of course, to the structure of the lo- local New Testament church. And so, um, and so obedience is always <clears throat> in our best interest. Uh, it's not in, our de- not in our best interest. And so the devil, that's a trick from the devil. 
when, you, when obedience is not in your best interest, that's not coming from God. That's coming from the devil. And so um, in Genesis 3, uh, Satan, oops, Satan had to convince Eve that God's uh, <clears throat> one and only command was not in her best interest. Without her, his influence, I don't know that she would have went there. Uh, but to do that, he had to undermine God's character and plant the seed of doubt about God's motive for keeping them from eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, and he, had to, he had to undermine God's authority in what he said. That's why here at Heartland we're so committed to the preserved written word of God in English because we know there are people, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that are undermining the authority of God's word and attacking, whether on purpose or not, the, the authority of God's word is being attacked. The deity of Christ is being attacked in a lot of the, well, in the critical text primarily, which is the, the Greek uh, perversion of, of the Texas Receptus, so, which is, comes from a couple different corrupt manuscripts. But at any rate, the point is, is that uh, the devil's always attacking God's word, and that's how he gets us to be disobedient. Uh, we start to say, well, you know, we get real pragmatic about it. Well, he didn't really mean that, or he meant this. You know, he meant what he said, and he said what he meant. And so it's always good to obey God's word. Uh, it keeps us right. And then it's also uh, obedience. So it's obedience is just right. I, I saw Glenn Beck do this. He did something with all this drama going on. I really liked it, and not to get into the political stuff. But he put up a board um, the other day, and he, he listed the left's their issues, their, their standard of what they're all fired up about, and then he, and the right, and he did left and right, and he talked about how polarized the whole world is right now, at least in the United States, on all that. Good good discussion. But then he flipped his, his board around, and I know he's a Mormon, you know, but this was still a good principle. He flipped his board around, and he said right and wrong. <laughs> it's not about left and right. It's about what's right and what's wrong. Well, you don't have right and wrong if you don't have a standard of righteousness. There's got to be, you can't have right if you don't know what is right. So, uh, so uh, German, you know, rationalism has led to relativism, and, and what's happened is the authority has become man, that's humanism, and humanistic philosophies are usurping, well, they're not ever going to really assert, usurp, but in people's minds, the humanistic philosophies are usurping the will of God, the word of God, the standard of righteousness is Christ. We talked about that last week. When Israel rejected Christ, they rejected the righteousness of God, right? His name is the word of God. We have the word of God. And so we're told in Second Peter, it's more sure than the, the physical appearance of Jesus Christ. We've got it right here. I mean, that is a standard. That is the standard of righteousness. That's why the law and the prophets, uh, even people who are lost, the Jews don't even understand it, right? They're still blinded that their Messiah came, but they were, they're running around on their Old Testament commission saying, all the world needs to understand the righteousness of God comes through the law of Moses. Well, that's right. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. Jesus is the righteousness of God, and the Old Testament law is right. The problem is none of us can keep it. And that's why we need mercy and grace. And that comes through Jesus Christ, who's our sacrifice for sin. And all that information is contained in the law too, right? And so uh, all of this is amazing how you just cannot get around the word of God. I mean, you, can, you just can't. God's word is right. Like I said when I was praying, and we're all wrong, right? We're, God's right and we're all wrong. And so the sooner we learn to obey God's word, the, qu man, the quicker we're going to get the blessing. Because at the end of the day, the law is not given for a curse. It's given to be a blessing. And so, um, and so it's amazing uh, how we get all that convoluted. 
So obedience is love. I need to get to that point. So in John 14, 15, and this is a very simple passage, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, I, and I've, I've, forgive me for being repetitive, but this is a passage in my own daily life. Like when I was a young Christian, I used to sit and go, what in the world? What do you mean if you love me, you keep my commandments? It just was like, has anyone ever struggled with that verse? Was it just me? Well, I don't mean struggle with the uh, application. I mean this understanding of it. Maybe it just shows you how convoluted my mind is, but or was. But I used to see that as just overbearing. I'm like, man, God, how can you tell your disciples, which I'd wanna, I'm one of them, that if you love me, you keep my commandments? I thought you gave me free will. And now you're telling me you got to keep my commandments if you love me. You see, you see the dilemma my brain was in? I'm like, what, what was I questioning about him? Yeah, I'm questioning his character. I'm like, man, God, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about your character. I mean, you're kind of seeming like a, like a bad man here. Oh, yeah. He, was, he challenges us in obedience. You know, and, I, and again, forgive me if you've heard this before, but you know when this really opened up to me is when I became a junior high counselor. You know, I told you I had some pretty tough kids. Not all of them. I had some really good ones, too. Jeremy Green, James Fife, a bunch of good kids. I remember one time, totally off subject for a minute, but I, had to, I was doing, uh, I used to coach basketball, and I'd never played basketball. So my whole thing with basketball, I was a wrestler, was just basically yelling at kids as loud as I could to go and get the ball in the net. I was a terrible coach. And Jeff, actually Jeff's son, Jason, was on my team. And man, he was a hard worker. But, uh, <clears throat> but at any rate, I took these kids in a locker room. And, uh, and I'm like looking around. At, I'm, I'm, now I'm like probably 20 years old, something like that, 21 years old, I don't know. And, I, and they're in the locker room. We had this locker room. We had a gym with a locker room. So I went in there for devotion. And they're all sitting there, you know, a bunch of junior high kids. And I'm like, why don't you have your Bibles? You can't love God without his word. You know, and I'm just preaching to them. And I'm giving a, I'm just, that's, I was super zealous when I first got saved. I mean, you think I'm zealous now. I was like off the hook back then. So, uh, and so I had little discernment. So I get done with all this devotion and just beating these little boys up over not having their Bibles with them at devotion. And uh, and then uh, John Greenbank, I'll never forget it. Who he he himself was a church kid. He came he came up in the church in Springfield down at at, uh, at uh, uh, High Street, you know. And, and God used that church and some key people in his life. He knew what it was for the Word of God to be effectual in a junior high kid. And uh, he takes me down the hall, just gently, kind of puts his arm around me and says, "Hey, Brian, just because they have a Bible doesn't mean they read it." And man, I just I was like, oh, man, he's right, you know. I got to, and the Holy Spirit did the rest. And I instantly, what I was hearing was like, Brian, you got to deal with the heart, not just with the not just obedience alone. Keeping your command isn't what we want, Brian. We want them to keep God's word. Right? We, they got to have a love for God's word. They got to have a want to. And uh, and John only said that one sentence. That's all he said. But God was instantly started communicating. All the other undertoes, all the other nuances to what that one statement meant, and man, it, it just and God, the Spirit of God taught me through that, and uh, you know, and that's isn't that the truth? As parents, sometimes like you obey, you obey, 
Well, they do need to obey, but at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is nurture them. We're trying to get them to want to obey because they understand the bennies. And so I'm, I'm, I'm working with junior high kids, and, and I haven't been a parent yet, right? So I'm just barely myself, you know, out of being a, being a child. And uh, even though we were married and on our own and all that. And, um, and as, as the, the more I dealt with, and I did deal with some difficult children uh, that would just not take, I mean, even rebellious, like as the sin of witchcraft types, a few of those boys were pretty rough. And you know what? I learned, I'm like, and I saw them pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. And, and, and I was growing wiser and wiser. You know, it was really good for me because I was growing in, in, increasingly wise dealing with these kids. And God started to show me what that verse meant. If you love me, keep my commandments. And that's how he revealed to me that, you know what, the only way to have a good life is to love God and keep his commandments. I mean, these kids think that their parents don't want them to do whatever it is. Whatever the rule was, they wanted to break it because rebellion is bound in the heart of a child, right? And they wanted to rebel against the man. They want to rebel against mom and dad. They want to rebel against the junior high counselor. They want to rebel, rebel, rebel. Well, the problem with that is it's just going to hurt them. But they don't believe that. They really don't know that there's a consequence to disobedience. They think that they can just disobey God and there's no consequence. You know what? We do too as Christians sometimes. We can just, oh, well. Well, it is an oh, well. Yeah, Jesus has taken our sin on the cross, but man, what sober man soweth, that shall he also reap. That should affect our heart and go, oh God, forgive me, I'm sorry. It should give us a contrition of heart. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you really love me, meaning God, then do what I say because my character is good and what I'm going to tell you to do is going to lead you to the promise of life. But if you choose not to obey me, what's going to happen is you're going to reap death, right? And we see that from the very first commandment in Genesis 2. When Adam and Eve didn't adhere to the one commandment that they had, it brought death. If you love God and want life, you'll keep his commandments. But you've got to understand, he doesn't give us commandments to hurt us or to keep something from us. He actually gives us commandments to bless us with life. He wants us to be blessed. And again, even today, so you could see where my mind was corrupted. You know, Paul says, be not beguiled, right, from the simplicity that's in Christ. And the, the devil, he'll trick you. He'll beguile you, and he'll try to get you to think that God is some taskmaster or God is some distant God who doesn't care, you know. And so this is also important to us parents. I'll get to the father here in a little bit, but it's important to parents, right, that we understand these things because we represent, we reflect uh, you know, as we deal with our children on the issue of obedience, you know, our motives got to be need to be pure, that we're leading them to life, not to death. We're not just being a taskmaster. We're not just we're not disciplining in anger. We're not just wanting to do our will, but we're actually leading them into the Father's will, and uh, and all of those things are so important. They really help. The more you understand obedience yourself, the better you're going to be at leading others in obedience. All right. So, and that's that has to do with love. Love is. Is an, it's an action. It's obedience as well, you know. Um, and it's one of those things that it's an attitude. It's an attitude of heart. So uh, so that's a good verse. Uh, and then obedience is learning. And Hebrews, this is a really good verse, Hebrews 5.8. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so Jesus learned obedience by 
the things he suffered. This is another verse that kind of tripped my trigger. He allowed himself to be completely immersed in Adam's fallen race, yet never sinned. Uh, in Hebrews 4.15, uh, the Bible says, For we have a, not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus placed the divine, his divine will and authority uh, of the Father ahead of his human desire to avoid being you know, tortured to death. I mean, no human, including Jesus, wants to be tortured to death. I mean, nobody wants to do that in their flesh, unless they're just demonic. <laughs> I mean, that just isn't, that is not natural, um, and that's not the will. So look over in, in uh, I don't think I put the, oh, I did put the verse up there. So over in Luke 22, you can see it up there, you can turn your Bible. Luke 22, 39, the Bible says, And, it ca- and, and he came out and went as he uh, was wont to the Mount of Olives, uh, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place... Uh, he said unto them, "Pray ye not, uh, pray. I'm sorry, pray that ye enter not into temptation." And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, "Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me." You notice what he didn't say, "Father, if thou be able, remove this cup from me." He knew that. It, I mean, he didn't really have to go to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. I mean, God can get the right answer no matter what. He chose to go to the cross. He says, if you are willing, then, man, remove this cup from me. Uh, and then he goes on to say, um, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose up from prayer, he was come to his disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And so, here we are, uh, you know, Jesus is in a situation where as a human, he would rather not die. To the point that he's praying the Father, saying, Father, if, if, you, if you would take this cup, not if you can, but if you would take this cup, if you'll take this cup, then... Man, that would be great. I, I, I don't really want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So back in that other verse I just quoted from Hebrews, right, where it says, um, Though he were a son, capital S, he's a son of God, yet he learned he obedience to the things which he suffered. Well, how did Jesus learn obedience if he never did anything wrong? Right? I mean, he never did anything wrong. Ever. Ever, ever. Now, I learn obedience because I do things wrong. Like, don't do that. Don't steal the cookie. <laughs> you know, don't do that. Don't do... We learn obedience because we're idiot sticks, right? Jesus never disobeyed. He always did the right thing. And even when his father and mother were like, what are you doing, Jesus? He's like, didn't you know, man? I'm down here in Jerusalem doing my father's business. I mean, oh, okay, yeah, I guess so, son. We didn't even know you were missing because you never do anything wrong. You're always obedient. So Jesus put himself in a situation, right, where he was like, you know what? For me to obey the Father means i got to go against everything humanly possible here. Everything in my body says, don't do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm going to become a curse for sin. I've never known sin. I've never touched sin. I've not had anything to do with sin. 
And yet here I am. I'm getting ready to become the sacrifice for sin. There's nothing that I could imagine holy God. And I can't even really grasp the magnitude of it. As a human, even as a superhuman, he's sweating drops of blood. I mean, this is such a big deal for God to be involved with our sin. It's causing him to physically break down and sweat drops of blood. I mean, he is, he is pouring himself out in prayer because he's got to obey something he doesn't want to do. I, could ima- I couldn't imagine. You know, when you look back on the martyrs, you know, some of those got the, some of those fellows, and not, you know, even recently, you look at some of the, the people that ISIS martyred, and uh, you just look at them, and they kill their families in front of them, and they, they, they stand firm, they crucify them, you know, hang them in the square, uh, all that stuff that was going on just a couple years ago, and is going to go on again if uh, probably in the next administration. So, um, so all that stuff, you know, that goes on, Man, these saints, man, they're, they're touching a little bit of what it was like for Jesus to obey. Uh, and man, grace unto it. So Jesus placed the divine, his divine will and authority uh, and the divine will and authority of the Father ahead of his own human desires. So obedience, man, that, that's a learning experience. It teaches us something. And obedience is also honorable. I mean, even God in the flesh learned something about obedience. It's also honorable. Now, this is a blessing... Uh, to the, the children, uh, <clears throat> to the obedient child. And so there's a blessing to the obedient child. I, I gave you the three verses there, and there's more, but I just gave you three samples uh, out of Proverbs. Proverbs 1.8, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Right? Uh, hear what mom and dad are saying. Don't do, you know, listen to what your mom says. Wear clean underwear when you get out and cross the street, whatever. My, mom, my son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Uh, uh, again, hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. So that means even when she's getting old, uh, you still listen to your mom, and you're respectful. You honor your parents. Honor your mom. That doesn't go away. That doesn't mean you know every. That doesn't mean everything they say is right or whatever. But you can even do this as much as you can with lost parents. You know, unless they're asking you to do something that's wicked and sinful. But even law, it's always good to honor your parents if you can, uh, and when and you should. Uh, there's a there's a price to pay though for disobedient children, and uh, that's the next one. Yeah, there's a price to pay for disobedient children. Let's look at these verses. There's a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. I don't think we'd have to go very far through YouTube to find that, would we? You think we could find anybody cursing their father and not uh, blessing their mom, calling her names? I bet I could find children in our church that do that. If it was the Old Testament, we'd take them out and stone them. That's how serious God takes that. Uh, Proverbs six twenty or Proverbs thirty seventeen: the, the eye that mocketh at his father. And despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. I don't mean to laugh, but come on. That's serious. I mean, man. That's serious. Whoso curseth his father, his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. I mean, this is this is serious consequences. Leviticus twenty and verse nine. For every one that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. Leviticus, Old Testament law. 
he hath cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. Man, that's serious business. Anybody ever, uh, how many of you never heard that before? Old Testament, anybody, you guys all know that? There was a death penalty? I, when I was shocked when I got saved, and I, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Man, that's, that's heavy. That'll make you set up and listen. You're like, whoa, how far we've come. Exodus 21, 15, And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. And he that curseth his father or mother shall be put to death. There's, that, is, that is hardcore. That sounds like some Sharia law, doesn't it? That's what the Old Testament law was like. And yet Jesus Christ was, was esteemed, uh, he was smitten, right? And he was wounded for our transgressions. So aren't you thankful we don't live in the Old Testament? Man, amen, me too, man. Uh, before you get too far uh, with that idea, though, remember that Paul said, some sleep. Some sleep. Because they take the Lord's Supper lightly and disobey God's call for purity in the body of Christ. So before we all get like, whew, I'm glad that's over. Now, fortunately, man, I am so glad that God, in the New Testament, it's not in my hands to take your children and go stone them. We don't operate like that. They may do that in Arkansas, but we don't do that in Missouri, and we don't do that in the New Testament, all right? So uh, I'm just kidding. My brother's in Arkansas. Forgive me. But, uh, but uh, you know what I'm saying? We really, that's because in the New Testament, we're full of grace. It's still your, as a parent, we're, obviously, we still teach our children to obey, but we don't have the sentence of death in the sense that we give the death sentence. We, we bring people to life through Christ. However, there's still Romans, Romans 13. So I, have, I do counsel parents. I've counseled more than one parent. I've had to counsel a parent. This is probably going to, well, I'm not going to say that, what I counsel a parent. Uh, but I will say this, that, that I, have, I have encouraged parents to call the police on their kids. When a young man wants to take a swipe at his dad, uh, now, even now, if the dad's provoking that child to anger, shame on the dad. There's a judgment in that. We'll get to that in a minute. But especially if a child, a father is not provoking his son to anger or daughter, and he, they're taking swipes at their parents, we'll call the police. Uh, because that's, you know what, that's the only authority you got other than you putting them down yourself and so and defending yourself. And so uh, that's a terrible thing when a family gets to that place. But that's what happens when disobedience is, you know, let go. And so that, that's, a, that's a terrible thing. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. So, um, so in the church, too, what happens is sometimes people don't obey. right? So we don't have these, you know, we put this in a physical context, a child, a physical child context. But in the household of faith, we're all children. And God gives us the ordinances, and, 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 and Paul lays it out in the, to the Corinthians. And he says, hey, guys, you know, some of you guys are so disobedient in Corinth that you are, you're dying. You're sleeping. And uh, I remember I was, I was assigned one time to a church. I won't say the church because there may be people listening that know it. But I was assigned on a circuit to preach in the church, and, and they were having a lot of death. So just over breakfast one day, I just said, hey, so when was the last time you observed the Lord's Supper? And this lady got, like, angry with me, and she was one of the leader's wives. And she says, we don't do that. Something about that offended her conscience. And I'm like, okay. And I think it's because they thought it was liturgical, like something you would do with the, the Eucharist or something. And uh, maybe they had a bad understanding of what the Lord's Supper was. I don't know. But I was like, you mean you never take the Lord's Supper? No, we don't do that in this church. 
I'm like, that's one of the ordinances. So what are you talking about? We baptize, but we don't take the Lord's Supper? And, and so um, anyway, it was interesting. So I actually inquired uh, back at the, uh, with my leaders at the church. Not that it wasn't a pastor. It was just a lay leader over the ministry. I said, hey, man, uh, I was down here in this church, and I was asking them about this, or this is what they said about the ordinances. They don't want to take them. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know that, but it's a good place to practice preaching. And I'm like, really? You know, forget that. I, I told them, I don't want to practice preaching anywhere, and I definitely don't want to practice it there. I don't want to contribute to that. So I, I got, off the, got off the circuit there because I, was, I wasn't going to go back and be a part of that. I'm like, man, that's disobedient. This, that's rebellious. And to me, it's my, I wasn't in charge, so, you know, you're not in charge. My whole rule is, by the way, I didn't cause a stink. I didn't run around and gossip about it. I just kept it to myself because it's none of my, I'm not the one in charge, which is the proper thing to do. Um, I probably may have let a pastor know about it. But... Uh, the, when something like that happens in church and you maybe see something that's like, man, that's an affront to God and it's not being dealt with the way you want it to be dealt with, what I always like to say is that when you're in charge, you do it different, right? I wasn't, God didn't put me in a place to, to, to change that situation. So I didn't. I just submitted and I didn't have to go back, so I didn't go back. So my conscience was clean and I let the, and eventually God kind of judged everything. You know, I won't get into all that, but God took care of it. And, and uh, you know, and now I'm using it as an illustration many, many years later. So the point is obedience is a big deal, whether you're an individual, a local church. I mean, um, you got to take that stuff seriously. So, um, man, obedience is still a big deal. And, and it, it, affects, it affects our life. All right, so let's talk, let's, let's talk about obedience as a reward, man. Praise God. Ephesians 1, 2. Uh, says it, it's, it's rewarded. And that's, that's the blessing, man. He says, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So there's a promise to this thing. Hallelujah. And so uh, Ephesians uh, 1, 1, 2 gives a promise. What is that promise? Well, in Exodus 20 and verse 12, well, that's interesting. I got Genesis 4 up there. That's not where I'm going. So turn, did I, did I miss a verse? I must have not dropped it in there. Go back in your Bible. you got to turn back there and look at this. Exodus 20 and verse 12. Lay your eyeballs on this thing. Somebody want to read that? Amen. So here we see that, that, that uh, again, it uh, associates it with the long life and, uh, and on the land, long upon the land. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So when Paul is in Ephesians 6 and he's saying in verse 2 there, this, this, is, this command is with promise. That's the promise he's talking about, long life. You know, you'll be living in the land. Now, obviously, we went all last week when we talked about how our inheritance isn't physical, it's spiritual. And it's true. But you know what? There's a blessing to obedience. That when we, when we obey God, it brings life, long life, spiritual life, eternal life. So there's a promise of long life from the Lord to those who honor their parents. Cain did not honor 
he didn't honor his father or his brother. If he would have obeyed God's word, he would have he would have been rewarded. Have you never noticed that in Genesis 4 there? I got the verse up there. It says, And the Lord said unto Cain, this is before the law of Moses, Why art thou wroth, right? Why are you angry, man? What's your problem? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt not or shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. I mean, Jesus is like saying, hey, Cain, dude, what is your problem, man? If you will just do what I tell you to do, you're going to you're ruling over your brother and I'm going to bless you. And what's your what's your deal, man? What's why can't you obey? And we know he was jealous. He was angry. He was mad. It didn't go the way he wanted to go because he worked on those crops. He worked hard and he wanted to offer crops. God said, go get a lamb from your brother. Get one of the sheep of his flock, and offer that for the sacrifice. He wouldn't do it, and he dug in. But you know what God gave him a chance to do? He, gave, he laid out the reward. He's like, hey, listen, Cain, man, quit pushing back on me. If you just do what I tell you, you are going to be rewarded. Why are you pushing back? I want to give you a blessing. I mean, dude, what's your problem? And uh, he didn't say, dude, what's your problem? That's what I said. But anyway... Uh, that's what that's kind of he's like man come on man so Cain didn't honor God uh, his his father or his brother and uh, so well he didn't get a reward of course so Jesus obeyed you know and he was rewarded (laughs) isn't that interesting so Cain didn't obey when he was offered a blessing Jesus was going to be offered as a curse and had no reason to want to go forward but did it just because he loved the father and he gets rewarded because obedience is not about just the promise at the end. It's about really who you're obeying. It shows honor and love to the Father. That's what gets back to the attitude. So in Philippians 2, this is a familiar passage, but it's a good one to look at again. Who being in the form of God, talking about Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became... Here it is again, obedient unto death. Uh, and even, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that, the, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, <clears throat> and uh, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we know in, in uh, Romans 6, in verse 17 and 18, it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so, uh, but God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which is delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So when we obey the gospel, we are rewarded with eternal life. Uh, by the way, that reference that I was referring to about will obey is Romans fourteen eleven. So Philippians says every knee should bow. Because right now, everyone in the world has a chance to obey. God is calling all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17, 30. He's calling everybody. He's like, repent! All you got to do is obey. You just got to believe. But some won't. Many won't. Right? Nonetheless, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Romans 14, 11. Uh, We know that. At the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment, rather, uh, the great white throne judgment, 
those that would not bow their knee today, well, they'll bow their knee then before they're cast into the lake of fire. And so everyone's going to bow. It's just a matter of when. God wants us to bow now while there's a reward. He doesn't want the reward to be eternal death. He wants the reward to be eternal life. And a lot of people are like Cain, and they simply will not obey the Father. And God's like, what in the world, man? Would you just take my sacrifice instead of your own works? Because everybody likes to bring their works and say, God, I can justify myself. Look how hard I work. And God's like, no, I ask you to bring a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The gospel is that simple. Obey. Bring the right sacrifice. You are accepted. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, was your sacrificial lamb. Rest in what God has provided, not your works, but his finished work. Receive that gift, bring that gift, and I will receive you. You bring all your crops that you've been planting, all your good works, they're not enough. They're going to fall short of my glory, and you will be judged because you want to bring your righteousness instead of accepting the righteousness of God, which is my son Jesus. Very simple, very easy, but man, I tell you, a lot of people, our hearts are, are opposed to that because, well, we're like Cain oftentimes. And so there's also not just a reward, but there's relevance. Man, the command to obey, the virtue to, of obedience and the relevance of obedience. So uh, if it isn't practical, it's not preaching, right? There's not teaching. So some of the most practical examples of God's blessings of the obedient children are found in the Old Testament. And you just think about some of these guys that were obedient, against all odds even. You know, Daniel. You think about Daniel. He's one, and there's many. You can come up with some others. You know, he ate, he ate, he ate pulse as a young man, which is, you know, veggies. He ate his veggies like his mama wanted him to. So, no, he ate, he ate, he didn't eat meat that was uh, not kosher. And God blessed him as a servant. And when he obeyed God and prayed through, it cost him time in the lion's den. Not always was his obedience wasn't always blessed with lack of persecution. Right? There were times when, you know, don't they pass a law, don't pray. He's like, well, I'm going to pray anyway. And I'm going to go to the lion's den. Right? Hanani, Mishael, Nazariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, they're like, hey, bow down to, to the, the, the image and worship. Well, sorry. Though we slay, slay us, yet will we serve him. We're really not interested in disobeying God. And so there is, there is a, you know, for people that want to kind of have a rebel, rebel yell, be a spirit of rebellion, man, well, rebel, be obedient to God, and you'll find plenty of people finding you rebellious. Obey God, and there'll be plenty of people that think you're a rebel because they will not understand what in the world, who you're following. So... Man, I tell you, th those are some good examples of men who obeyed. And they were young men, by the way. They weren't, they weren't I mean, Daniel continued in obedience. I'm sure the others did as well. But they started as young men coming out of captivity in a time that was just turned upside down. Uh, Joseph was another one. Man, wow. Nothing in the Bible. There's nothing even negative written about Joseph. I'm sure he had something negative. We don't know about it. But we don't, God does not give us that because he's a type of Christ. And man, Joseph, doesn't matter what happens. He's just obedient, obedient. He's doing the right thing, doing the right thing. And there's a blessing to that. He's rewarded greatly and becomes a savior to his family and the promised seed of Israel through his humble and faithful obedience. What, a, what an awesome picture of Christ. Because Joseph obeyed, his family lived. Because Jesus obeyed, Israel will be redeemed. 
right? And not only that, we get redeemed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, Samuel. I love that little rascal. Not just my son, but the, the one in the Bible. Uh, little Samuel grew to be old Samuel, and, and he never quit being obedient, even when things didn't go well. This is just fresh bread to me, because I'd never really thought about it until just this week when I was doing my devotional reading, how his two sons were like Hophni and Phinehas. They both, and I thought, man, the difference between Samuel and, and, and Eli was that Samuel never quit being obedient, even when his family quit being obedient. He kept being obedient. He just kept going. And uh, God blessed that. So, so the little child Samuel learned obedience, and he, and, uh, he didn't let a, let a word of God fall to the ground. Whereas Hophni and Phinehas were a reproach, and Samuel prospered when the candle in the temple went out, the Spirit of God still illuminated Samuel's heart, and he remained faithful all the days of his life into the anointing of two kings. He got to see Saul and David get anointed. So that passage applies to all of us who claim to be children of God. How can we say that we're sons of God, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, right? And, and not obey his commands. If we, if we are his, we should do what he says. And so that's how we express our love to him. If you want God to know that you love him, uh, it's good to sing songs, but it's, it's really better to obey. It's better than singing the, the sacrifice of praise. Don't get me wrong, we should sing the sacrifice of praise. But what is it any good if we say, oh, Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the folly of sin I resign. And then we just go out and do what we want to do. That's hypocrisy, man. And, uh, man, let's not be like that. Let's, let's obey God with our life and our lips as we sing to him. So this is important as, as a child of God, as a disciple of God, as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Obedience never goes away. And it's important that, that we have that childlike faith and we believe God's character is good. It's also important, part in, it's important in a social context because the current world system is designed to erode at the family. This system is, and I've, I've been alluding to this in Malachi, right? Because we know that when Jesus returns at the second coming, after this tribulation is you know, going to come upon the world, he's got to repair, bring the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the sons of the fathers because this is going to get so divisive. And uh, this, this is not new. In the 90s, when the wall came down uh, um, in uh, Romania, or not Romania, in Germany initially, the, the wall came down in the 90s, and then we were able to visit in Romania. And one of the things that Doug was pointing out is there was a huge gap between the, the uh, children and the parents in Romania. The culture gap between the East and the West was just, it was just ridiculous. And so, um, man, it was, just, it was just dividing all the homes and dividing their culture, um, and it was just it was just kind of crazy, and and so um, I bring that up because um, you know it's interesting how technology and how everything is ramping up, and it is dividing. Amy and I just had a conversation today about the influence of technology in our home, and 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 the influence we have as parents, and all of those things. Uh, why? Because man, this this stuff is designed. I read another article today, actually, and now I'm thinking about it. There's an article on the Internet I saw on a news, on a news page about the same thing, about how uh, technology is dividing the family. Well, you know, Candace Owens, um, that's, that's not all just accidental. The devil's got a plan for that. Uh, that's not just an accident. Um, Candace Owens wrote a book. Um, uh, I think it's called Blacked Out or something like that. Anybody know if I'm getting the right title on that? But I actually, I didn't read it. I listened to it. Um, 
I think it's called Blacks is, is the name of it, something like that. But anyway, she's a she's an African American lady, and uh, and she she puts she had some pretty good information. She uh, she was talking about social engineering the past fifty years has done more to destroy uh, black American families than slavery. And she puts all the stats out there. Now, that's not to condone slavery, okay? That's not the point. But her point is, is that in the African American family, 50 years ago, the fathers were intact. You know, there was a higher incident of teenage pregnancies and unwed pregnancies in Anglo American society than there was the black society. Black society had less unwed mothers, less teenage pregnancy, or less unwed mothers, children born out of wedlock, 50 years ago. Uh, but because of the difference in, you know, there was a lot of social changes that were implemented, especially in urban settings, that encouraged a lot of those things. Um, and so now, uh, that's her point, is that it's a shocking point when you think about it, that... Uh, that the, the, for the African-American, uh, the family is more divided now, worse, than even during slavery when they were dividing families, you know. It wasn't even that divided. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, and so if her, her, if her stats are, are true, which I don't, I don't doubt them, um, it just seems shocking. So slavery was ho- a horrible sin of our nation, and God judged us for it. Denying God and implementing humanistic Marxist ideologies uh, are designed, right, to, de- to destroy the family. Why is that? Does anybody know? I mean, they can hear you guys have been around a while, some of you. Why is that? Divide and conquer? Yep. Anything else? When you see the Marxist agenda being kind of foisted on a people, what, what, what is the reasons for dividing the family and conquering? Control, yeah. What's the rationale? I mean, maybe that's another way of saying it. What is the rationale? Safety and security is a ploy, which never happens. You end up dying. But yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a rationale that is promoted. Yeah. For future adults, because of, because of the... Who, and this gets down to the core of where things are headed. They do retrain. Uh, Chris is saying they retrain the children, as and they do. Um, like if you were in East Germany, you know, 50 years ago, and you were in East Berlin, and you happened to catch Captain Kangaroo coming over the wall, you know, in your house, when your children went to school, they would bring that up. Anybody watch Captain Kangaroo? And if your kid was dumb enough to say, yeah, we watched that the other day, guess what? Then the, the secret police came to your house, and they had a visit with your, with your parents, and they took, took them out and re-educated them. Okay, so um, literally, I heard that kind of speak even just today. I heard somebody talking about that, needing to re-educate the populace. I'm like, whoa, I've, I've, uh, I've heard that somewhere, and it wasn't in America. So uh, Stalin used to do that, and he was good at it. All right, so... So, okay, so a Marxist ideology, though, is about, it's a humanistic philosophy. There is no God. Who replaces God in a Marxist ideology? The leader? Yeah, but I, technically, we're all, we have all things in common. The color, the state, thank you. The state replaces God. The state becomes God. And the party becomes the family. 
and and it replaces you cannot afford to have a strong nuclear family in that kind of system uh, because it competes with the state and the party the party tells you how you're going to operate and it's all for the benefit of everybody else it's all for everyone else's benefit because you can trust us to mani to manipulate yeah to manipulate you can trust us you can trust the party because we we're all for you we're gonna we're gonna make it right just like Cuba, man. We're going to make it right. And of course, ultimately, it, it puts everybody in poverty. Communism has killed, oh, yeah, or more, 150 million plus. I mean, just in China alone, you go to China today and you live there, they don't know about Tiananmen Square. They don't know about 60, they don't know that Mao murdered 60 million people. Well, some of them do, but many of them don't. They just don't know. Why? Well, because that's part of the, you don't educate people on that. That's why, by the way, freedom of speech is also so very important. All right, so these are all just fundamental issues. How did you get your Bill of Rights? Well, you got that because Baptist preachers would not ratify the Constitution. Madison got in power because a Baptist preacher stepped out of power in exchange for him putting in freedom of religion and freedom, along with a lot of Baptist preachers, uh, freedom of, of uh, uh, First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Because they were like, if you don't do that, man, we're, we're toast. Because the Protestants were not very good to Baptists. Religious people weren't very good to religious people. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of people don't know this stuff. And they just don't know. Well, that gets back to the Bible. It gets back, I mean, what's that got to do with children obey your parents and Lord? But this is right, a lot. Because as the days grow darker, uh, the, 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 the system that the devil's going to bring in, the humanistic philosophy, is going to be such that the last person they want influencing their kids is you. As a parent, you know, um, even the economic advances, which kind of makes me s it's sad. This is just economy. It has nothing to do with a hidden agenda. But like I watched a thing several years ago, and this is still going on. The gold bank, if you know much about microloans, microloans are, 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 are a good idea. They're just little bitty loans that you give to people in third world countries that only need a few bucks to, to make a business, you know, of some sort. And then they'll pay it back. And, and it works, and it's a good thing. So Gold Bank, it's so good of a thing that Gold Bank got involved. I mean, that tells you something right there. Because Gold Bank ain't into that because they, they don't want to make money. They're into this because there's profit even in it off the backs of these poor people. And so, you know what they do, though, is they go to the women in those cultures. Because the women are responsible for the children. And the men, are, you know where the men are? They're abusing the women, and they're drunk a lot of the times, and they're not interested and taking care of their wife and their children because the society has been because there's no christ when you introduce christ into a culture jesus christ changes people from the inside out when you become obedient to the father then guess what you become it changes your family i mean it's amazing the gospel we preach and the, the simple principles found in ephesians 6 about obedience and the duty that we have to love god and love people love our families it changes a culture and so it grieves me that those micro, I'm like, man, what, the way it ought to work is those microloans ought to go to men who are willing to take care of their wife and their kids, but it just doesn't work that way. It's kind of sad. It's just an indication, you know, of uh, where the world is. And that's why we need to get the gospel everywhere, including in the United States. And so, uh, so some of this may not be come to the suburbs in the countryside near you, uh, but the, the families in rural and suburban America are falling apart, just like they are in urban centers. Teenage pregnancies is high. Single motherhood is as common. Uh, it may be more common in some, t in some cases. 
Uh, so what's going on? Satan is working to destroy the family. He's going to do it uh, to the best of his ability by removing the truth, the standard by which children learn what is right and what is wrong. So an absolute standard of right and wrong is established in the Word of God for our benefit and for the benefit of our families. The erosion of absolute uh, truth through rationalism and synthesis has caused the, the ends to justify the means. So social engineering that, that uh, was started uh, many uh, decades ago was championed by racist eugenicists at the turn of the century. A lot of people don't know that either. A lot of the policies in social engineering that are popular even to this day were started by eugenicists, people who want to, uh, only the strong survive, Darwinian thought, you know, kill out the, the weak, only the strong survive. And not only, that, not only eugenicists, but racist eugenicists. Margaret Sanger, go check me out on that. That's not a, I'm not making that stuff up. She's pro, she is triumph today as progressive and liberating millions of people. But she's murdered. She's the one who started abortion mills. What, are you kidding me? Uh, it's crazy. And so people could have a better opportunity for success. But in Joshua 1.8, we know that the really success comes from, what does success come from? This book. This book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest learn to observe all that I say. I forgot what, how it goes. Joshua 1.8. But the only place in the Bible that the word success is mentioned. This book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. I can't hear you, honey. I wish I could. Day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. Only mention of success in your Bible. Joshua 1.8. And so the truth is that obedience to the word of God is what uh, liberates man to love God, his family, his neighbor, his enemy, even. And it's, only re- it's the only real standard and the only real solution for the human soul. Just as progressive and Marxist ideology is always destructive and destroys lives, so sin has the same impact upon Adam's fallen race. None of us can, can say that we have successfully obeyed God's commands. We've all fallen short, and we're guilty of falling short. Nonetheless, there is one man who was who has reversed the curse, and, and our obedience to him changes the whole story when we commit to him. Not to Darwin, right? Not to the collective, but we, can, we commit to Christ. So obey God's word, for, for that is right, Christian. That's really the truth. You are a child of God. Obey God's word. It, uh, it's, it's obedience to Christ and his gospel that corrects all the wrongs. And so sometimes we think, you know that message, man, just quit preaching Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the only answer. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. Paul, is, is uh, he's taking them somewhere. So let me just park it here and we'll be done for the night. But see, what Paul's doing in Ephesians 6 in Ephesus, Ephesus, is a, they, they worship the goddess Diana there. There is paganism going on all over the place. There is all kinds of immorality, just like today. But what Paul is doing is he's giving them foundational duties. He started at chapter 5, right, with marriage. It's like, oh, and by the way, this is what your marriage pictures, Christ and the church. Now, let's talk about children. Let's talk about fathers. Let's talk about servants. Let's talk about, let's talk about masters in a, in a culture. I'll get to that, too, where everybody's a slave. Well, not everybody. 50% of the population is slaves. And let's, let's put all of these things, every relationship we have on the foundation of Christ and see how God prospers it. So Paul is he's going somewhere with this in Ephesians 6, and it'll show 
it'll show up as he continues in with the principles, uh, with the fighting, literally, the principalities and the power of the air. And if we don't teach our children to obey us and the Lord, they will have no, no way to withhold and withstand the powers of the, of, the, of the devil. When the evil day comes, they will not stand. Obedience is the key. When you have a military conflict, what do you need? You need obedient soldiers. You need people who can stay in rank, people who can go where they're told to go, do what they were told to do at their own peril, right? And that's the kind of integrity that starts when, with a little child learning to obey. And it doesn't just mean physical children. It means in the body of Christ. Man, ch- Christians today are so flighty, it's unbelievable. Over, they get a thumbnail, a toenail broke, whatever, man, and they're out. They're gone. Their feelings are hurt. Why? Because they don't know how to love God and keep his commandments. They're, they're there and they're in the church for some other reason than Jesus. I hate to be that blunt, but it's the truth. What, need, what needs to happen uh, is they have to grow up. They have to grow up in, because the more you grow in Christ, the more grace you have, the more ability you have to take on other people's faults and not yourself get caught up in it. You know what? There's a lot in Ephesians 6 in the duty of Christ, just being obedient. So when God tells you it's Lord's Supper time, forgive your neighbor, what should you do? You should forgive your neighbor. Why? Because God said so. That's it. Isn't it that simple? It really is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are